Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm reading from the NIV. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you, that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. Pastor Charlie's not with us tonight. He had a big day today and I think he's moving stuff tonight a little bit. Um, you're all aware that he's moving, yes? Yes? Um, but he lives over near wherever it is. Um, what's it called? Alexandra Hills, isn't it? Um, and they've sold that house and they've found a house down here in Parkinson and they're going to be renting it um, for however long. Um, and he's given, I can't remember the address, but anyway, it's in Parkinson, so they'll be moving in there over the next few weeks. Um, so pray for them. Brendan and Michelle have likewise found a unit, and they'll be moving in the next couple of weeks or so too. Huh? Presently. And you're going to be down here at the end of Brendan Street. Brendan in Brandon Street. <laughs> Charlie in Chuckles Street. It's not true. Um, Pastor David is back off holidays. He was at our members' meeting this afternoon, but he returns to work tomorrow. And Pastor Alvin has gone west with Cherry over the mountains and far away with Care Outreach. So that's going to be a lovely experience for him, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> I've never been out there, and by that reaction, I'm not going. Don was in the prayer meeting this morning, and uh, Don Marriott, many of you will know, Don was with us today, you know, in terms of at the meeting and church and stuff. He's been in hospital over the last week or so, and he's not doing well. So remember our brother Don. And Hazel uh, Dick Foss, Selwyn's wife, Brenda's mum, turned 80 today and had a party yesterday. Partied too hard, 
and uh, paid for it today. Continue to pray for her. Uh, uh, well, you know, she is aging and life gets more difficult as you get older, doesn't it? But, yeah. <laughs> I thought you would identify where that was. <laughs> so all of that stuff is all going on. <clears throat> Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have the opportunity tonight to be together, to look at your word, and could you help us to understand it, to read it correctly, to interpret it right, and to apply it to our lives. We ask, therefore, that you will speak to us, to wrestle with it, and to come to the point of being fully obedient to your will and your purposes. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A couple of truths before we jump into this uh, passage. You've heard me say this before. God is a God who is always at work. He's always working around us. He works in us. He works with us. He works beside us, around us. And he works in the circumstances of life. He's an active God. Um, and the Bible certainly balances that, that while God is a worker, there are things that he is committed that only he can do and he will do them when it comes to salvation or to many purposes of life. And because we are made in his image, he has entrusted to us certain responsibilities and he says, you do that. There is a part that God does and there's a part that we do. We can't do what God's part and God will not do our part. So if we are not cooperating with, if we're not doing what God wants us to be doing, then some things will not get done. We'll come to it again in a minute, but it talks about the Bible. James says to us that we have not. Why? Because we ask not. Our part is to be praying and to be asking. And because we didn't do that, we will miss out on some things. So God is a God who is always at work in his sovereignty and his providence, his sustaining and ordering all things. And when we work with God, then when that comes together, then things happen. Spiritually, but also in our material world. Second thing, this passage in the whole New Testament, in fact... The Apostle Paul places a lot of trust in prayer, in the power of prayer. He is continually praying for new converts and missionaries and other church situations on a daily basis, several times throughout the day, according to his letters. But in every letter, he also says, pray for us. He's absolutely committed to it. He has an insight into how things happen in this world. And so that's our first point tonight. If we put up Young verses 1 to 5... There are three truths for tonight, three paragraphs that will fit into this. And the first one is the first truth, verses 1 to 5, when we pray, God works. That's that cooperating process with him. When we pray, God works. That's what Paul says here. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us. And then he gives us some details about, well, what should we pray? Pray that the message of the Lord could spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it is with you. Pray that it will be delivered. And then he goes on. There was a very famous Christian, 150 years ago, Hudson Taylor. You may or may not have heard of him. He was a guy out of England and God put on his heart that, to go to China and to learn Chinese and to identify with the Chinese culture in order to win the millions of people who had never heard about Jesus in the land of China. He went and he was very successful and he returned to England and he wanted and he prayed for 100 missionaries, 100 people to join him in the work one of the people who joined him was a man by the name of D.E. Host. D.E. Host went, served under Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor died, went home to be with the Lord. And D.E. Host followed him in a significant leadership uh, position in China Inland Mission. 
And his role is that as an inland missionary, he had charge of seven villages, seven churches in seven villages, uh, ten villages, sorry, that he was to, responsible to preach in, teach in, disciple in, do pastoral care and visiting in, vi- um, and pray for them, and, and so on. And he would just do a circuit and go around. Some of the churches were on this side of the mountain, and about three of them, or whatever, were on the other side of the mountain. They were further away, they were more difficult to get to, it took days and days and days, and he thought that was a waste of time. It was more effective. If I concentrate on these seven, and if I go there occasionally, once a year, whatever, but I'll pray for them. So he works here and prays for them. Visits occasionally, prays here, works here, prays for them. Does that for decades. Over that period of time, he noticed something. Churches over the mountains, where he visited occasionally, therefore where he taught and preached occasionally, were multiplying and growing and booming and were healthy and lots of people were becoming Christians in those churches. And the churches, the seven churches here where he was teaching and visiting and praying and discipling and doing the best that he possibly could, well, they were growing too, but nowhere near as much. Churches over the mountains where he wasn't were blessed and where he was, not so much, not as much. And he was puzzled by it. So he went to the Lord and he said, Lord, why? What's the answer to this? And you know what the Lord said to him? It's because you spend more time praying for them than you do spend praying for these ones. That was his testimony. That God works when his people pray. And God calls us to prayer. And it's certainly the documentation of history that God's revival never breaks out except when his people bend the knee and come before him in prayer. When we pray, God works. Prayer is like sending forth a missile that nobody can deflect and it's going to explode in the target for where it goes. I am not saying that everything we pray for therefore happens. Prayer is a mystery. It's us cooperating with God. And it seems to be that axiom that when we pray, God works. When we don't pray, well, God doesn't seem to work as much. They do seem somehow to be linked in the mystery and the providence of God. As William Temple used to say, when somebody said that there are no such thing as miracles, they're just all coincidences, he said, well, um, when I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. There's some link. And we can't explain it, we just know it by experience. And I know you know this truth, that we need to be a people who pray, and the truth is that when we pray, God works. And that's certainly what Paul says here, verse 1, he says to us, what should we pray? Well, pray for the message. Pray for the gospel message. Two things, pray for it to spread rapidly, pray for it to be honoured. Pray for that many, many people will hear it and pray that it'll be honoured. Pray that it'll be received and accepted. Pray that come carols. Pray that every, uh, every week for these services on Sunday, that God's word would go forth, that many would hear it and that it would be received and accepted and lives would be transformed by it. Because once the gospel is accepted, then it'll dawn the life of those who believe. That's what Paul seems to be saying here. And he also says in verse 1, just as it did with you guys, the Thessalonians. And if you go back in the first letter of Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, he was blown away by what the Thessalonians did, how they responded. We also thank God, he says, continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 
who was blown away by their transformation and their ready acceptance. And so just like it happened for you guys, Paul's saying, God, do it again. Do it again wherever I go and preach. And will you guys be praying for us, please? Pray for the message. Pray for the messenger in verse 2. Pray for the people who are teaching and preaching. He doesn't give a lot of detail here like he does in other letters. Back in Colossians chapter 4, he gives quite detailed. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us that God would open a door for the message. It's a good thing to pray for Alvin out west and the team out west so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which we're in change. Pray that I can proclaim it clearly as I should and be wise in the way we speak and so on. He gives quite detail, Colossians chapter 4. But here he says... When you pray for the messengers, pray that they'll be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Well, we know that. Not everyone believes. Some people just don't believe. Some people can be quite dismissive of believing, and some people can be quite, you know, almost violently opposed to believing. People are at different levels. And it seems to imply that we have to respect people. They have the right to choose. Their responsibility is to respond to the truth of the gospel. We have to respect that, not force it on them. And our responsibility is to pray and to present it as clearly as we possibly can. And we ought to be praying. Pray certainly for, our, for us, for our pastors, for our preachers. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for all of our ministry leaders and life group teachers and everybody else who's teaching God's word. Pray for the RI teachers in school. In all areas, pray that God's word would be shared effectively, the people would be responding and receiving it, and where there is difficulty, where there is opposition, it's so easy to get discouraged and to back off, pray that they'll be delivered from that, protected from it. Pray for the messengers, not just the message. Down to verse 3, it's remarkable, the economy of God. When we do that, when we pray for the message and for the messenger, then God does something in us, and the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you, and protect you from the evil one because you're praying because you've entered in because you're engaging in this spiritual warfare there'll be spiritual benefits to you god will strengthen you in your walk with him in your spiritual vitality and he will protect you from satan from the evil one and from his attacks satan certainly does attack attacks in all sorts of ways jesus spoke about how satan comes to church every sunday they're my words not jesus's Remember the story Jesus told about the parable of the sower whose sower went out to sow seed? And the first lot of soil, uh, seed lands on the path. Then the birds come and pick at it and take it away. And when they came to Jesus, they asked, what does that mean? He says, well, the birds represent Satan and his kingdom. And the, the sower is the preacher. When he preaches the word of God, some of it lands on hard hearts. And it doesn't just stay there. The evil one comes and he takes it away. So the influence of God's word is removed from those people. That's why we need to pray that God's word would penetrate. Satan's very active. Matthew chapter 16, there's that incredible story where Peter on the mountain, um, Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, wow, Peter, you know, you didn't figure that out. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. Verse 18. My Father in heaven just revealed to you incredible spiritual truth. Three verses later. Three verses later. So in a very short time of the conversation, Jesus says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, going to reject me, kill me. 
I'll die and then on the third day I'll rise again from the dead. Peter takes him aside, grabs his arm, takes him aside. Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Jesus says, remember, get behind me, Satan. Verse 16 to 18, he's listening to God. You're the son of the living God. And now here he's listening to Satan. That's how insidious Satan is. He gets in. He's here tonight, not Satan himself. But his henchmen, his demons, they're here. They will seek to interrupt. I don't know if it's true or not, but I reckon the demons pinch kids when they're in church. (laughs) This morning I was sharing this down in the Cantonese service and I'm saying exactly that point. That Satan's insidious and he does all sorts of things to distract us and and um, somebody's mobile phone went off. And you know when the phone goes off and you... You should just answer it straight away and then get up and walk out so it stops ringing. Well, this, I, I don't know who it was. This poor person, this phone just went and went and went. And I'm talking about how Satan seeks to interrupt and all those sorts of things. And I thought, how typical of the evil one. The microphones will crackle at the wrong point. All sorts of little subtle things of ways. He is involved to try and hinder the work of what God is on about. So... We are to pray, and when we do pray, we can expect opposition, therefore pray that we'll be delivered from that. Verse 3, and when you pray for Paul, when you pray for others, God will work in you as well to strengthen and protect you. And then he says, well, my words are, and pray for one another, verses 4 and 5. Paul is expressing confidence. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and you will continue to do the things we command. May the the Lord direct your hearts in God's love and in Christ's perseverance. Pray that we'll continue in doing what God wants us to be doing. Continue to practice what the scriptures teach us. Pray that God will deepen our love for him and pray that we'll persevere, have the patient persistence of the Lord Jesus, that we won't give up. Because there are lots of distractions, there's lots of discouragements. I think that's one of Satan's favourite weapons, discouragement. So we need to pray. That's truth number one. When we pray, God works. Let's pray for the work of the gospel. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for one another. Pray. Number two is in verses 6 to 15. And I guess the encapsulating truth here is that the NIV calls it warning against idleness. I called it when anybody ignores apostolic teaching when we ignore what the apostles teach us then not only will there be disruption in the church but the bible is clear the church has to deal with it when there is ignoring disobeying apostolic instruction or teaching then the church is to deal with it not just the pastor just not the pastors or the pastoral team not just the leaders, the church is to deal with it. We had to have a united, committed front because the leaders of the church could be trying to do something over here and you, by your very support of somebody who is disobedient, is actually undermining what the leaders are trying to do. Does that make sense? Let's look at the situation Paul introduces. Um, Ignoring apostolic teaching can disrupt the church and it will certainly lead, uh, needs the church to deal with it. The Apostle Paul had come to Thessalonica, a Greek city. He's Jewish. 
And so he, he has a different mindset anyway, different worldview. And he came to a Greek city and he was very well educated and he, he was fully aware of their Greek culture. So when he came to Thessalonica, which was a very happening town, city in that time in history, the Greek view of work is very different to the Hebrew view and it's very different to our view. The Greek view of work was one where it said, you know, the gods hate us. They've cursed us and work is a punishment from the gods. When you look at the gods, they don't work. They might do some great activity every now and again, but generally they just lounge around and go to parties and are involved in leisure activities and exploring their hobbies and everything else. And the gods are having a lot of fun and they're cursing us with work. So the Greeks didn't like work. They thought it was below them. So they gave it, they thought the slaves should do the work and we should put all of our time as to leisure and into enjoying ourselves. So they disdained particularly work with your hands, whereas the Jewish people uh, actually valued it. If you wanted to be a rabbi, you also had to have a trade. Um, if you didn't teach your Jewish son a trade, then you were actually teaching him to steal, was the Jewish you know, saying of what they thought would happen. So Paul, knowing that, comes to Thessalonica, and so therefore... While he was entitled to receive support from them, not working but being supported in the gospel work, he decided to set them an example, that he would work day and night, that he would use his trade, trying to set them a correct example. Then he left and he heard that some of them had gotten off track, they were giving in to their Jewish culture and perspective of, and not working, they had started perhaps as an excuse to misunderstand the teaching about Jesus coming back and... They thought, well, Jesus is coming back any time. There's no time to work. We need to quit work and we need to wait for Jesus to come. And they were becoming disruptive in the life of the church. No work, no money, no money, no food. I'll go to church. You guys are Christians. You have to care for me and you have to support me. And they were. They, the working Christians were supporting the lazy, non-working Christians and it was actually disrupting the work of the church. Paul hears about this and he writes to them. That's what this paragraph is about. Verse 6, down to about verse 10. Uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, it's a strong word, keep away from every believer who is idle, lazy, not working, and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Keep away from them. What does that mean? Keep away from. Paul says, verse 7 to 10, here are the reasons. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this... Not because we didn't have the right for such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. No willy to worky, no eaty. That's the rule. If you're unwilling, not if you're unable. We're not talking about people who are who are sick or unemployed and can't get a job or they're disabled or something. I'm not talking about them. We're talking about people who are able-bodied and are able to work but who choose not to work. Don't support them because otherwise you are undermining the work and the influence of the gospel in their lives. That's what Paul is teaching. Verse 11. 
Paul knew this was an issue. He hints at it in first letter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. But the problem has grown. It's gotten worse. Now there are other people who are following their example. And you see, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? If something bad is not dealt with, then it just festers, it just multiplies, it just grows. It just infects and then turns toxic and then bad things happen after that. So verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes to them and he says, Now we hear that some of you are idle, lazy, you're disruptive, unruly, disorderly, not working, they're lazy and they could very well be charlatans, pretenders, people who have come in from the outside, rice Christians. Does that make sense? Rice Christians. People who become Christians so they can get a bowl of rice. People who say, yeah, I follow Jesus in order to get some money. We had that experience about two, three weeks ago here at Sunnybank. Had a young girl turn up, putting out a hand to get some money. Some of our people, being generous, kind, loving people, gave her money. <clears throat> she came back that night same thing came back the next Sunday morning same story again only this time some of the people were more wiser and keen to it and, but she still got managed to get a lift from a couple of our people to take her somewhere and so they were doing the right thing in one sense of you know, we're trying to help somebody in need here uh, but he was a person who is an expert at doing that going from church to church to church and putting out their hand and Christians being soft targets contributing. That's why the policy of our church is, of our pastoral staff when we do welfare, is we don't give money to anybody. We don't give cash. You want petrol? We'll go buy your petrol. You want food? We'll go buy your food. Or we'll give you a food voucher and send you to a, a place where you can get good, decent size amount of food for a very cheap price. You need help with an electricity bill or a bill or whatever, then we can probably pay part of that. We'll ring them up and we'll pay part of that. We'll write a check for you or whatever. But we will not give cash. Do we always know sometimes some people are soft-hearted, you know, and you cross the line. What do you do when you're here in the office by yourself and someone comes in and they just want, you know, 10 bucks and you, you've got stuff to do and you just want them to go and you think, oh, here's 10 bucks, go away. That happens. And we'd rather err on the side of being gracious to those who really do need help rather than being, you know, tight-fisted and hurting those who are in real need. So again, pray for us that we'll be discerning and that we... It's not just about being ripped off, but it's rather helping them to become more the person God wants them to be. So Paul writes to these Thessalonians and he says, now we hear some of you are doing exactly that. You're idle, you're disruptive, and you're not busy at work, but you're flopping busy bodies... You're meddling in everybody's visit. You don't go to work, so you've got all this day on your hand. What are you going to do? So you gossip. You walk around, you run around, you make a whole lot of noise, and you upset a whole lot of people. And I think it's William Barclay who says, gossip may not be the greatest sin. Um, it may not be the greatest sin, but few sins have done more damage in the life of the church. It's true, isn't it? One of Satan's favourite tools. So the truth is clear an obviously unrepentant person a person who is not repenting of sin in their life has a way of infecting others that's what had happened at Thessalonica it was small but now it is getting worse because it's not being dealt with 
bad example can hinder lots of other people from their devotion and service to the Lord Jesus. So when apostolic instructions, when the word of God is being ignored or it's being disobeyed, it's not being followed, if we don't do what the Bible says, then the church has got to deal with it. Not just the leaders, the leaders have got to be involved in it, but it's the church, the family coming together to deal with that because there's an actual process to go through. Verse 12, here is the solution. Paul writes and says, so we command you, it's a strong word, command. Um, I don't feel personally very comfortable in saying, I command you. I would do it to a demon. But I would be more than comfortable in saying, you know, the Bible says, because I come under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting in the letter to the Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the title of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, his full title, is used about 20 times. He's writing to these young believers and asserting, you are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He commands you. Settle down, get a job, go to work, earn your own food. Quit relying on other Christians and ripping them off. That's the instruction, verse 12. Pretty clear. Then he writes to the church realistically verses 14 and 15 what if they don't obey what do we do if they don't obey you have to deal with it i got a splinter in my toe the other day walked on the lawn i don't know how i got a splinter but i did too small for me to see too small for Rhonda to see has anybody got any clues how to get a splinter out of your toe what it'll fester up and come out just leave it alone let it go toxic, poxic and everything else and it'll pop out. Yeah, right. If I'm limping one Sunday, it's because my toe has been amputated. I'll tell you what I did do. I'll tell you what she did. She got some plastic, you know, some of the glad wrap, wrapped that around my toe, got a band-aid and stuck it on. And the theory was that the plastic will cause the splinter to come to the surface. And it did. The plastic like, I don't know, the heat of it or something. And when I took the plastic off a couple of days later, there it was just on the surface. And all Rhonda had to do was squeeze it and boop, out it popped. That's what we need to do to Christians. We need to wrap them up in plastic, <laughs> give them a few days, and then just squeeze them a little bit. Don't let it fester, you need to deal with it. So what does the Apostle Paul say? Well, this is where the church, we act as a family together. I need to hurry. The first step is always to correct them. You have a conversation, what you're doing is wrong. Um, second is clear instructions, verse 12, that's the second step. Third step, the Apostle Paul says in verse 14 and 15, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this book. Take special note of them. Note them. Name them. Write their name in the book. Do not associate with them. What does that mean? Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So you're doing something which is tough, but you're doing it to help them. Do not regard them as an enemy. So you're not out to hurt them, attack them. Um, it's not done with contempt or anger. It's none of that. You're not regarding them as enemy, but you're warning them as a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus. What you're doing is wrong. We've got to make this tough for you. And these two things, do not associate with them in verse 14 and in verse 6, to keep away from. That's what the scripture says. 
If I said to you, send them to Coventry, does that make sense? might for some of you. Um, you are to withdraw, to distance yourself. You're not to join them. You're not to hang out with them. You're certainly not to tolerate or to support them in their acts of disobedience. Don't copy them. Perhaps it also means you're not going to visit, socialise or party with them. You're not going to get mixed up with them. Do not associate with, stay away from. Got to work out what does that mean in our life and when we're dealing with brothers and sisters and we love and care for but they're doing something wrong in their life. Sometimes love's got to be tough. Parents have to discipline their kids. And I've told you before, um, so it's no secret, but my son, all you had to do was look at him and his bottom lip would start to quiver. My daughter was a whole different ball cattle of fish. You had to isolate her from social contact. Go to your room. And then she had various responses to that. Her favourite was, you're mean. That's what these people will say when you stay away from, don't associate with them. You're mean. And I used to say to my daughter, and I am cruel and I am horrible. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> you ask her today and she'll tell you exactly those words. Am I mean? No. Am I cruel and horrible? No. I just wouldn't be manipulated by a little three-year-old. You're mean. Go to your room. I can't walk, I'll drag you then. <laughs> the point is, we, the church family, have to do something. We can't, you don't ignore it. It's we together deal with this together. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. Verse 13, wonderfully, he says, and keep doing the right thing. Whatever is going on, do the right thing. What should we do? Do the right thing. Read God's word and do what he wants. So truth number one, when we pray... God works. Pray for the gospel message, pray for the messengers and for the word and pray for people to be effective in sharing it. Pray that they'll be protected from the evil one and from difficult people. Truth number two, if people are ignoring what the Bible says, if they're ignoring apostolic teaching, then we can't ignore it. We as a church have to do something about it. We have to help them in order to help us. <clears throat> yeah. And bearing in mind sometimes the evil one will send imposters amongst us. So you've got to be discerning. Third truth, God wants calm in the church. God wants the church to be at peace. Verses 16 to 18, a wonderful closing benediction. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Notice verse 17, the Apostle Paul gives his own personal signature to authenticate the, uh, that this really is from him. It's a genuine letter from Paul, not a, a false letter, a fake letter that apparently some of them were circulating. Peace, presence, and grace. May the Lord of peace give you peace. Peace internally, the peace of Christ in your heart and mind, internal calm, as well as peace in your relationships. The Lord be with you. May you know it, may you feel it, may you sense that Jesus is with you and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all because his grace is sufficient in all our life circumstances. Peace, presence and grace to the church that is committed to praying and cooperating with God and to the church which is committed to being obedient to God's word and holding one another accountable to it. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, it's uh, clear and it's also difficult. So that which is clear, Lord, uh, continue to motivate us, help us to be a people of prayer, who cooperate with you, who pray more and see, therefore, more of what you're doing. May the word, your word, the gospel, go forth and may it speedily be accepted and received by hundreds, thousands of people around us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll make us people, help us to be people of the book and to hold each other accountable and for us to act as a family together of caring for one another and even doing the tough stuff. Most of all, Lord, help us to always be looking up to you. May your peace and your presence and your grace be our experience and portion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.